So tonight, um, well, before we get into that, number one, I want to have somebody pray. Um, and then I do want to share something with you. So the Columbia trip next October, which I mentioned to you, and nobody has come up and asked me to go yet. Well, they got canceled. So now the trip is to Mexico in September. Same kind of trip that we went on, still an evangelism trip. But for some reason, the Columbia uh, team there decided that it wasn't good to go to that city this year. So it will be to Mexico, I don't know the exact city, September 17th through the 14th. So if anybody wants to go, be sure and let me know. Did you say the 17th through the 14th? Sorry, 7th through the 14th? Oh, okay. That I may have, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we can have 10 people go this time. So if you're interested, just let me know about that. Um, so, um, for everyone who had the multi-piece of paper staple thing, not everyone got those, so you're going to have to split with the room and share. I made 40 of them. Oh, yeah. Take a little round. 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 Okay, so everybody have the outline and the tree? Everybody have both handouts? Yes. Okay. Would you like to pray for us, Jordan? Sure. Okay. God, um, I just want to thank you for tonight and this day. Um, thank you for how pretty it was today, and thank you for... Um, just the opportunity to um, worship you tonight with friends, and um, I just ask that you bless Tony and help him to um, preach truth to us or teach truth to us and help us to listen and um, take it to heart and remember what he says and apply what he says to our own lives. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I know it's been like three weeks maybe since I was here, but um, could you all tell me the four foundational truths of biblical counseling I know Jim I listened to Jim's thing last week which was really 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 good um, but I talked about four I think he added a couple maybe but do you remember the four things I talked about there was four foundational truths of biblical counseling versus four foundational unfortunate non-truths of secular counseling was one of them the Bible is sufficient very good so the source of truth the Bible is sufficient very good the objectives were different. I think there was one around where the objective of biblical counseling is to like, glorify God and address sin, while secular counseling is to make you more comfortable. Okay. Yeah, so the goal, or the what you said, the, the goal of biblical counseling is always primarily to glorify God, right? It's okay to have relief and to not want to get in trouble with your parents or with your spouse or whatever, all that stuff's okay, but primarily for God's glory. So we got two of them. And then you mentioned the other one. The problem, it, unless it's non-physical, what's the problem? Sin. Yeah, in my heart, right? And then what was the other one? So we got the source of truth, the Bible. And then the problem, my heart. Okay, idols, outward sin. And then the goal was number four. But if we have a problem, we need a what? Solution. Okay, so what's the solution in biblical counseling? Gospel. Yeah, gospel, repentance and faith, applying the person and work of Christ to our life. Okay, very good, good. 
I know it was three weeks ago, so you did well. Um, so tonight, as we look at this, think about first and foremost, this methodology and the homework and stuff we're going to cover. Think first and foremost about your own life and discipling yourself. And then you can use these tools to disciple others. And I'm not going to call anybody out here, but there's a handful of people in this room that I've met with for eight to 10 weeks for biblical counseling in the past. So towards the end, and after we look through some of these tools, if you don't fear man, and if anybody wants to share how these kind of things has really helped you to encourage other people, then that would be a good thing to do. But if nobody does that, that's perfectly fine also. So let's talk about methodology here for biblical counseling. And what, what I mean by that is really kind of the how-to process biblically. Um, I would say there's kind of a, a logical procession or a logical flow of where you start and what's in the middle and the end. You want to make sure you always hit on certain things when you're meeting with someone regardless of the struggle. But it depends on the situation, maybe what you're going to emphasize up front. I mean, if somebody's struggling with uh, looking at pornography on a regular basis right away, you have to talk about staying away from access to the Internet and those kind of things, right? But in general, there's a logical procession um, to the methodology, which we'll look at here in a moment. So, as it says on your outline, I tried to give you pretty much everything I have here, okay? So, biblical counseling methodology, um, to be obedient to God, we have to put off, okay? And we're going to talk specifically what we mean by that tonight. Not just the outward sin, but the idols driving the outward sin. So, putting off the idols and the outward sin, and then putting on the gospel. And then also, not just putting on the gospel, but measurable, specific obedience okay we don't want to be moralists we don't want to be uh, just religious people or behaviorists we not only want to put off we have to put on to be f fully biblically um, obedient so i got a few scriptures there there's many that could speak to this but um, i'm assuming somebody probably has romans 12 2 memorized in this group do not be conformed any okay so put off the world put on the truth of god so that we would be transformed right uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every, make it obedient to Christ, right? So if you only take every thought captive, you're just putting off. you got to put on too, right? Make it obedient to Christ. And there's many other places we could go. So next, there's a put off and put on format here. And we're going to look at that here in a moment. But I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 20 through 24. Because when I'm, I'm meeting with people for whether you want to call it counseling or, or discipleship, I'm always going to talk about two put-offs and two put-ons to kind of give an easy format that people do not forget and they think through in their lives. And we can see all of this in these verses. So would somebody read Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 for us? But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to re be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so what does he tell us here to put off? Old self. Okay, old self, and, and what else? Former manner of life. Former manner of life, and what else? Deceitful desires, wicked okay. desires. Yeah. So when we look at all of Scripture, 
um, I think we can see here, and these can kind of go together and you can pour into both categories here, but you know, when you think about your old self and your former manner of life, you could easily see um, sinful thoughts, sinful words, and sinful actions, right? But always below that is deceitful desires, and we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. <laughs> so whether you want to call them lusts or inordinate desires or idols or heart idols, all of those mean the same thing. There's always a desire in my heart that is driving the outward sinful thoughts, words, and actions, always, okay? Um, then what are we going to put on? The new self. Okay, and what's he say before the new self? Renewed in spirit and mind. Yeah, so I have to be renewed with God's truth and beholding his glory, which we'll talk about later, before I'm actually going to put on the new self. And what does he say here? How does he describe the new self? Created to be like God true righteousness and holiness yeah yeah so when you think about the image of god in man god created us in his image pre-fall everything's good right everything's perfect after fall perverted image of god in man okay everything is marred everything's perverted when you look at scripture and what it always there's lots of ways people describe the image of god but the only way scripture really really specifically describes it here in colossians is it contains true righteousness holiness and the knowledge of God okay so this is very important so here we're putting off the deceitful desires and the sinful thoughts words and actions we're being renewed in our minds okay beholding God's glory with uh, truths about his attributes his promises and the gospel and then we put on specific measurable ways of true righteousness and holiness and we'll look at all of that in more detail here in a little bit now before we can actually put off and put on I like to, to say it this way, but there's two foundational layers we have to really cement into our hearts before we can actually get to putting off and putting on in a biblical way. And the first one is hope. So we're going to look at some scriptures here. And there's many places you could go to the Bible to give us hope, right? But here's three I always use in a first session, first meeting with people. Um, and you might use others, but that's okay. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture is thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? So you need to know for your own life and when you're helping to disciple others, you have people actually read that verse and then you ask him. The verse says it equips us for how many good works? It says every good work, right? So that should give me hope to know <laughs> that the Bible has all the answers for everything that I'm struggling with. Whether it's a sin struggle or I'm struggling to glorify God in suffering in a trial, the Bible has all the answers and there's hope knowing that the God who created me and loves me and knows what's best for me has given me the answers in his word. Okay, next, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and 14. Once again, not picking on this group. I'm proud of this group, but... You probably already know what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, right? Mm -hmm. Quote it loudly. You know it, you know it. You're on the spot. Um, but, uh, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you were able um I forget exactly how it's worded, but it's looking like he'll provide a way for you to stand up under it. Very good, very good. So most believers 
you at least have a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, how many of you know what 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says? <laughs> okay. So, go, go ahead. It says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Yeah. So, no temptation, which could mean a trial or a sin struggle, right? Temptation to sin. has seized you except what is common to man. Once again, God's not just saying, get over it, people. No. But other people have struggled with the same kind of things. God's faithful in that. Okay? And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear in his strength. It's not talking about willpower and uh, your inner being and how strong you are. Okay? Um, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. So most people scratch their head and say, okay, God, what's the way out? Well, sometimes it is to do what Joseph did, right? In Genesis, you have to run from temptation. But verse 14 says, therefore, flee idolatry, which is the way out of all of our sin temptations. We're going to see that more and more as we work through the tree and stuff tonight. But we don't ever want to just fight sin with the law. I think I said this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again tonight. Um, but we do have to flee from the idolatry. So if we just focus on outward behavior, you don't have any hope of real change. You might start stop drinking, but then you're watching TV 24 hours a day, or you're eating too much ice cream, or you're playing video games all day. You go from one outward sin to another unless you deal with the idol driving the sin. So the only hope is to flee the idolatry. The next, Romans 8, 28, 29. Once again, everybody in here knows what 28 says. Somebody tell me what 29 says. Even if you just paraphrase it, that's fine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, so... Everybody knows verse 28, God promises to work all things to good. And once again, you scratch your head and say, okay, what's that good? And some people say, well, I won't know till I get to heaven. Well, that's a lie because verse 29 tells you in everything, the good God is always working to is to make us more like Christ. And when he says in verse 28, he's working all things to good. That even includes our sin. God hates our sin. He's never the author or approver of sin. But he can use our sin even to drive us to a place where we seek help to become more like Christ. So there's hope knowing the Bible has all the, the, the answers for our struggles. There's hope knowing that if I flee from my idols, I can be set free of the outward sin. And then there's hope knowing that God's going to work everything to good. Um, I forgot to mention earlier, could we hold the questions to the end? Will you write it down so you don't forget? Well, you're young. Maybe you don't have to do that. <laughs> okay, so we got to lay this foundational layer of hope because if you don't have hope, are you really going to work hard and persevere to change? Probably not, right? Okay, the second one is motivation. And I think we talked about this a little bit before. But if your motivation for change is not primarily 1 Corinthians 10.31, which is whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, including seeking change in your life do it for okay second uh corinthians 5 9 says we make it our aim our goal to do what to please god right um philippians 120 would somebody read philippians 120 as it is my as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored 
in my body, whether by life or by death. Yeah. So all of life, even if I'm dying, I want to honor God in my death. And in all of life, I want to honor him. So the key word here is primarily, okay? Once again, there's nothing wrong with wanting some relief from my circumstances. But if that's the main reason I'm seeking change, I'm doing it for Tony, right? I have to do this primarily for the glory of God or he's not going to help me. Why would he? He's not going to make me a better idolater of myself. Okay, so primarily we have to seek change to glorify God, to please him, to honor him. And then as we do that, John 10.10 says we live life to the full, right? So that's okay. I mean, sometimes people have this idea that it's totally wrong to do anything for rewards. The Bible uses rewards as a motivation sometimes, right? But primarily it needs to be for God's glory, okay? Or he's not going to bless us. Why are you smiling? I had a conversation with Sam about that last oh, week. Okay. okay. All right. I have. I. I'm hard to have a debate with. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't want to debate with you. Okay. <laughs> so once again, you got to have hope as a foundational layer, and then you got to have the right motivation, or God's not going to help you. And I'll say this at the end, probably, but. If people don't do the homework when you're discipling them or discipling yourself, if they don't have the right biblical motivation, if they don't have genuine repentance, and if they don't behold the glory of God, they will not change. If you do all those things, you will change. You can't help but change. Okay, so let's go on to the two put-offs now, now that we have hope and motivation in place. So you have the idol tree, which we'll refer to a lot. So put off number one, as you can see here on the left side of the tree, it says put off number one. Then it has a long list of what we would call things we could lust after, inordinate desires, idols, hard idols, whatever you want to call them. In and of themselves, there is nothing wrong with these things. But if I sin to get them, or I sin when I don't get them, or I want them too much, or I want them for the wrong reasons, or if I lose my joy and peace if I don't get them, you can be sure that you're worshiping one of those things, okay? And we'll, we'll get to some particulars here in a moment. So that would go on the root of the tree, okay? We don't just focus on the branches, the outward sinful behavior. We have to focus on the root. Because if there's no idol worship in the heart, there will be nothing on the branches as bad fruit, nothing. But Calvin said our hearts are idle factories, right? Unfortunately, yeah. Okay, so you have on your outline there evil desires, controlling desires, lust, not evil in themselves. I just explained that. So when somebody is sinning in a certain way, there's some really good questions to ask yourself. So I will do whatever you want me to do tonight. I was just planning on using the example of anger for the sin struggle. But if there's something you prefer, I can switch. Is it okay to use anger as a... I mean, everybody in this room struggles with anger. If you say you don't, you're lying. You don't have to blow up kind of angry, even if you get, oh, I just get frustrated. No, that's anger, okay? That's anger. Okay, so if you are getting angry, a great question to ask yourself is, what am I wanting when I'm getting angry? And then look at this list, and what am I primarily worshiping? Now, in a year's time, Tony's probably going to worship all of these. But in general, there's about three things that I struggle with, mainly comfort, security, and pleasure. Those will be my main idols. And if you do this and work through this, you'll find you probably have two to four that are most prominent. Okay. 
So great question to ask yourself when angry is um, what am I wanting and look at the list. Oh, I was wanting respect or I was wanting approval and acceptance and I didn't get it and I got angry, right? Okay. Next question on the, the outline there. Um, what am I trying to get from getting angry? Similar question, but can help you discern what's going on. Another one is, what am I fearing when I'm angry? I can guarantee you that if you have sinful anger, you will always be fearing something. And ask yourself, what am I fearing right now? Is it rejection from some person? Um, is it the possible pain I might have to go through? Um, I'm getting angry because I can't pay the bills, so there's a fear of not having money, security. Um, there's always going to be some kind of fear at the root of that, along with some idol that you're fearing not getting, okay? Um, so we're going to use um, anger as the example tonight. So one of you tell me, have you, as you look at this list, and you can take a few seconds here, tell me what might be a common um, idol that somebody might be worshiping when they get angry. Hmm? Besides the ones you already said. No, you can say whatever. Control. Okay. That, that's good, but I have to go a little deeper with that. Because nobody just worships control to be in control. If you're worshiping control, it's because you're trying to get one of these other things. Okay? Same thing with freedom. So, what? I was going to say power. Like the control of the power. Okay. The, we'll go a little deeper with that one. So, if I'm wanting power... Probably because I'm wanting power, once again, to maybe guard something else here, right? So I know they're on the list here, and I know it makes it a little bit confusing. This is Ed Welch's list. It's not Tony's list. So I was going to say maybe reputational, like I matter. Okay, there we go. Okay. Which, which you could try to control a situation to get that, or you could be using some power to get that, right? Okay. So we're worried about reputation, I matter, which is kind of similar to approval and acceptance, right, or significance. Some of these are in the same kind of categories, okay, but let's go with that. So what you would want to do, if that's you, I suggest you do your own idol for your anger, but you would want to write I matter or significance on the root of the tree, right? So that's what we're going to attack. Because if I'm not worshiping that, there's no sinfully anxious, I'm anxious, there's no sinfully angry thoughts, words, and actions coming out of me. Okay, and then Jesus said in Mark 7 that everything flows from what? From your heart. From the heart, right? So the outward behavior is flowing from the worship of something in my heart that I'm sinning to get or I'm sinning when I don't get. So if I don't feel like I matter, I'm going to sin, manipulate, try to get that, or maybe I'm going to sin and get angry when I don't get it, those kind of things like that. So does that make sense? I'm sure it does. Okay. So that's the put off number one. Now, we don't only put off, and we're going to talk about repentance more here in a moment. We don't only put off the idol, um, but we want to put off what's flowing from the idol, which would be the sinful, angry thoughts, words, and actions. So if I'm um, sinfully angry because I'm worshiping I matter, what might be a sinfully anxious, I keep saying anxious, <laughs> sinfully angry thought I might have? Just an example. Okay, so you would write that on the tree. What might be a sinfully angry word that might flow out of your mouth when you're worshiping I matter? You're not getting it, so I'm angry. Screw you. Okay, so you would write that on the branch, right? And then what might be a sinful, angry action that might flow out of Yeah, yeah. So those are the kind of things you would put on the branches of the tree, okay? 
And you can do this with any sin struggle. Let's say somebody with drunkenness. Well, drunkenness is up here. Well, what's the idol? Maybe I'm, I'm going to Jack Daniels for comfort or for peace or for whatever. Okay? All right. So that was easy. Um, now, depending on who I'm working with, it's probably the third session before we're really getting super deep into this. I mean, the first session, I'll talk about homework later on. But I'm always going to give some homework right away, like a situation log. And one of the questions on the log will be, okay, when you looked at pornography, what were you wanting? And we're going to look at heart idols right away, but we're going to get in deeper once I get people going with hope and motivation and those kind of things. Okay. Um, then we have to talk about, not after we, I should say not after, when we do figure out what the idol is driving the outward sin, then we have to go into a session on repentance. Okay. And I tell people up front that this is not fun. This is like going to have surgery done. It can hurt. It can be really painful to look at your heart. Um, but it's something you have to do. And I always make sure to tell them this isn't a condemning session, but it's really serious. And really, repentance is the path to freedom. Okay? So let's talk about repentance. And let's say um, we're dealing with sinful anger here. So... I would always assign somebody a couple verses to take home and read. And then when they come back, we'll read through those verses together. And I'll ask them a lot of questions. We'll talk about their anger and talk about what God's word says about that. So would somebody read Matthew 5, 21 through 22? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Yeah, so if a person is struggling with anger, that's probably one of the verses I'm going to assign. They're going to go home and read it, maybe write out some things about their own anger, and then we're going to turn to it, we're going to talk about it. Um, we're going to see there that, you know, anger is pretty serious, right? God says it's murder in the heart. I mean, this is serious sin. Um, it's not as bad as physically murdering somebody, obviously, but it's still murder in the heart. And we're going to talk about what repentance would look like. And hopefully the Holy Spirit is going to convict them of their sin because only he can do that work. Right. And we're going to talk more about being dependent on the Holy Spirit later. Um, so that's one passage I might go to. Um, another one would be Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Would somebody read that? Yeah, so obviously we're going to see there that we're to put away some anger and malice and bitterness. No, all, right? Even when it's little stuff, even if it's just the tone of my voice or it's just um, frustration, as we mentioned earlier, or something like that. We're going to put all of it away and we're going to see the importance there of forgiving other people who sin against me. And how can I not forgive someone when God has forgiven me of all of my sin? And my sin goes from here to Mars and back about 20,000 time so it's not just i have to forgive how can i not forgive in light of how much god has forgiven me so those are some really good verses for anger i know james has some verses there's others but the point is um, we're going to have to get people to understand they need to repent not just of their outward sin but the idol worship in their heart that's driving that outward sin okay we're not just focused on the outward behavior behaviorism moralism religion we're going to get to the heart of the matter there. And when you look at those verses with somebody, 
you want to counsel them and minister the verses to them. It's not helpful just to read a verse and then go off teaching. You want to make sure you're taking their specific circumstances, putting them in those verses, asking really good questions, and spending some time ministering the word to them, not just dispensing the word. Okay? Don't just quote a Bible verse real quick like a band-aid and say you're good to go. You have to minister to them, ask good questions, make them give examples of what's going on. Um, and you have to talk about specific repentance. Nobody repents in the general. And nobody lives by faith in the general also. So we have to be very specific in our repentance and specific in our faith, which we'll get to here in a little bit. Okay, so let's talk about repentance. So 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. And for those of you who just sat through this when I taught Rod and Staff a few weeks ago, sorry, you got to hear it again, okay? And most people in the church, when I ask them what repentance is, you know how they answer that? It means I confess my sins. That's not repentance. That's a fruit of repentance. I can confess my sin all day long. I can ask for forgiveness and not re be repentant at all in my heart. Okay? If I'm repentant, I will confess my sin and ask for forgiveness, but that's not repentance. Okay, so if you want to get picky, the Greek word metanoia is a change of mind, which will lead to a change in our lives that flows from the heart out. Okay, so um, we're in 2 Corinthians 7. Why am I in Romans 7? <laughs> we're going to go there. We're going to go there a little bit. Okay, would somebody read Roman or <laughs> 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11 for us? For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieve that 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 letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss to us. In ten eleven, please. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. In the matter. Okay, so what's the difference between worldly grief and godly grief? One leads to life and one to death. Yep. And what would they kind of look like? Give me some examples. Wallowing in it. Mm -hmm. worldly, just kind of swirling down, not getting out of it, but just being like, oh, wow, that's terrible. Yeah, good. Really good. Yeah. Other? I, w I would say it's like, woe is me versus woe that I send. So the second part, I was like, I still want to say God, though. Yeah. For the glory of God. There you go. That's perfect. Yeah, and then what would be some other, like, just specific things you see in people's lives? I mean, those are, are killer answers, okay? But specific things. Uh, maybe eating a lot of ice cream is a worldly one. Okay. <laughs> um, and didn't you say that one? The one we taught you, like, the go to the ice cream. 
see this a lot in the girls. <laughs> I didn't say nothing about girls. <laughs> Man, you're going to get me in trouble. Yeah. So it'd, it'd kind of be like, I'm going to change. If, if you're 14 years old, I'm going to change. I'm going to do what's right because I just don't want to face punishment from my parents, right? Um, it's like me when I got DUIs in my crazy drinking days where... Um, you just don't want to lose your job. You just don't want mom, mom mad at you. You, you, you got to go to the AA classes, that kind of stuff. That's just worldly grief. Or um, it's a husband or a wife who's going to, they're going to go seek counsel just because they don't want to lose their marriage. But they don't really want to change, right? They're just playing the game. Okay. So what are some of the adjectives in verse 11 that describe genuine repentance? Describe godly grief. How does he describe it? Okay, earnestness. What would that, how could that... Um, what would that look like, I guess, when it comes to repentance, if I'm earnest about it? Like seeking that change strongly. Strongly. Working Good. for it. Yeah, strongly. Not blaming other people for your sin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like the word strongly. Okay, what, what other adjectives? Zeal. Okay, zeal. So what would zeal look like? Actually, technically, actually, manlyly and enthusiastically moving mm-hmm. towards moving towards actually improving yourself and and actually one minute voice your mind thoughts well I love the word enthusiastically I think you nailed it so stronger or strongly and enthusiastically what else is there sorry my train of thought kind of oh that was good zealot is someone committed to a cause so if you're committed to cutting out sin in your life, you could be a zealot for for God, kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'm pretty zealot. Yeah, like like you're willing to take measure, like big measures to mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. Okay. Good. What about the other adjectives here? Fear. Okay. What do you think that's referring to? Like. Not fear as in, like, sinful fear, but fear as in, like, a fear of God. Yeah, and I would also say, um, well, yeah, that would be the top one. Fear that my sin's going to hurt my relationship, fellowship with God, right? Um, fear that it's going to hurt my relationship with other people and harm them, and then also messing up my own life. So there's a fear of the consequences of sin, right? Not just the God or the worldly consequences but the godly um, consequences there what indignation what's that refer to hatred of sin hatred of sin not because it makes me wallow right but hatred and sin because it's against God it's against his holy character and Jesus Christ had to suffer and die for it right okay so we've covered earnestness eagerness indignation fear longing what, what would longing look like Desiring to make my relationship with God whole again and desiring to like, be holy to all glorify Him. Okay. And making this a big priority, right? Strongly, enthusiastically, radically, all these terms you use in which are great. And then um, what about the punishment? This might be a little bit... Yeah. Um, I think even just... You know, we talked about like what confession... You know, agreeing with God about your sin, but I think part of that is realizing that justice must be served for that sin, and even if that is on yourself, like you understand mm-hmm. the weight of what you have done and that it does deserve to be punished, 
and that it, it requires repentance, you know, and so I think yeah. like acknowledging the, the punishment for sin and that that really is death, but even there are consequences for your sins that are not just death, you know, that are still can happen while in this world, but all of that still requires justice. Yeah, so you're willing to humbly face the consequences and you want justice to be done even if that costs you, right? right. Very good, very good. So um, lots of times, you know, we're, we think, well, yeah, I, I think that person is repentant or I think I'm repentant or you hear, well, that person was repentant, but do we really see this kind of stuff? I mean, I'm pretty zealous to watch the Colts games and the Cowboys games. Yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty zealous to work out Monday through Friday. I'm pretty zealous to eat five times a day. I'm pretty zealous for lots of things. But do, are we that zealous about being repentant over our sin? I mean, yeah. Okay. So I always go through those verses with people. And, and I don't know if people are truly repentant or not. Okay. But hopefully the Holy Spirit's working and that's happening. Um, would somebody read the repentance quote I have down there? Those who are truly repentant hate what they have done because it was sin against God. They're concerned about the people they have hurt. They are willing to do whatever it takes to avoid repenting their past sins. They welcome accountability because they don't trust themselves. They want to change and they want to make things right. Okay, so I found this actually in the footnotes of a back, in the back of a book, but I thought it was really, really good here. Um, so I assign this to people and I have them take it home and read it. And I say, hey, I want you to come back. Um, I want you to read 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 11, maybe Matthew 5, Ephesians 4, read this quote, and write out what repentance is going to look like in your life um, concerning the things that we are working on. Okay, and then we're going to work through that um, together. So we've got the repentance of both the idol in the heart and then the outward sinful thoughts, words, and actions. Okay, so that's the put off. And do you see why it's so important not just to put off the outward behavior, but also what's driving it in the heart? Okay. Okay. Muy importante. Okay, now we go to the positive, the encouraging stuff. Okay, and that is the put-ons. So, you know, it would just be, once again, moralism, just be religion, just be um, behavioristic kind of stuff, just to put off lying and tell the truth. Okay, now the Bible says in Ephesians 4 to quit lying and tell the truth. It says to quit saying harmful things and to say things that build up. Um, don't be bitter and forgive. So we want to do that, but we are only going to do that in a Christian way, in a biblical way, um, if we first behold God's glory. That's the key to everything. So we want to talk about put on number one right now, which you can see on the right-hand side upper here on the tree. And that would be things like attributes of God, promises of God, or something connected to the gospel. So attribute, God's sovereignty and goodness, okay? Promise, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Um, something about the gospel. Um, I think I mentioned this before, but if you procrastinate, if you struggle with procrastination, what you need to do every morning is tell yourself, man, when Jesus went to the cross to die for my sins, he didn't procrastinate. And that will encourage me not to procrastinate. Or when I come home straight from work, walk through the door, and if my wife or my girls want to talk to me right away or want me to help them with something, I'm thinking, I just worked all day and I'm going to go sit on the couch because I'm worshiping comfort. I need to remember, man, 
Jesus went to the cross. He wasn't worried about comfort to die for my sins, to save me from the hell I deserve. I think I can serve my wife and my girls right now. Okay? So that's how we can apply the gospel to things. So here we want to behold God's glory. So let's look at some verses here. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Would somebody read that for us? And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, so according to God, what is going to um, cause us to be transformed? What Doing what in verse 18? Beholding the glory of the Lord. Yeah, beholding the glory of the Lord, right? Very good. So um, let's also look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15, if somebody would read those two verses. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, so it says, for the love of Christ controls us. Okay, on my tree, if I'm sinfully angry, I'm being controlled because I want to matter, right? Rather than being controlled by the love of Christ. God's perfect love casts out all fear. If I'm focused on God's perfect love, do I care about whether other people make me feel like I matter or not? No. So I don't fear that, thus I don't get sinfully angry. But back to 2 Corinthians here. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded, meaning I trust in, I'm convinced of this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So according to these verses, what is going to cause me and motivate me to die to myself? Knowing that someone else died for, Jesus died for us, so we live for him. Yeah, my whole point in this is to prove to you that the way I'm going to attack the idol in my heart is by beholding God's glory, meaning his attributes, meaning the gospel, as you just, this just told us, right? I'm going to die to myself and die to what I want as I focus on him who died for me. Okay, let's look at one more. Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Yeah. So what do we have? What's been granted to us? Yeah. All things that pertain to life and godliness, right? Not some things, all things. And where is that found? Through the what? Knowledge of him, right? Who he is, his attributes, okay, his promises. And then he goes on to say what Sam said. By which he is granted to us by his precious and very great promises. Then there's those two little words that are so important. So that through them, meaning the knowledge of him and his precious and very great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, and then what happens? What's he say? Well, don't be changed. You're in the middle of it. All right, fine. 
We become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so once again, this isn't just Tony's theology here. The Bible is telling us, as I behold his glory, I will be transformed. As I focus on him who died for me, I will die to myself and die to wanting to matter, right? And the way that's going to happen is through the knowledge of him, who he is, his attributes, his promises, his precious and very great promises. And as I do that, I escape the sinful, wicked desires in my heart. Okay, so that's how we attack, that's how we blow up the idols in our heart, is by beholding God's glory. So we talked about this before, but this is so important. So let's go to Romans 7, 7 through 8. Because most people that I work with, and I think it's the natural bent of all human beings, even lost people. You ask them, how do you think a person gets to heaven? By being a good person, right? Even as a believer, even after you know you're saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone, we still always want to go back to the law. It's the natural bent of being a human person and a fallen human person. So somebody read verses 7 and 8 for us. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, Produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Okay, so in your own words, man, I got problems. I was in Second Corinthians 7 again. <laughs> so in your own words, tell me what verse 8 is teaching. Even though the law in itself is good, it tells us what is wrong. And therefore, sin can use us knowing what is wrong and tell us to be wrong. Yeah. Once again, you're walking down the sidewalk. There's a six-foot fence, okay? Not with holes in it, but a solid fence. And then there's a sign that says, don't look into the hole. What do you want to do? Look in the hole. Yeah. So this is saying that my wicked heart, God's law is holy and perfect and upright and beautiful, as you said. But my wicked, sinful heart takes a hold of the law and it produces in me even a greater desire to sin. So you do not fight anger by telling yourself all day long, I can't get angry, I shouldn't get angry, I'm thinking about anger, right? That's not helping. What I need to do is behold the glory of God. And you need to find specific verses, specific truths about who God is, His promises, or something about the gospel that you attack that with. And I have a list here of some things that might help. We already talked about 1 John 4.18, and yes, that's in the context of eternal punishment, but secondarily, it's okay to say that God's perfect love casts out all fear. Well, if I'm tempted to worship I matter in my heart, okay, which leads to sinful anger, but at the moment of temptation, I take that thought captive, and I'm like, no way. God loves me perfectly. God's perfect love casts out all fear. I don't need to fear not mattering. If I trust in that, guess what? I don't worship I matter, and there's no sinful anger, right? Another one would be, oh, I had this happen on the way over here tonight, okay? Um, so I was driving down five points on the way here, and the speed limit's 40 miles an hour there, and the person in front of me was driving 31 miles an hour, okay? Now, I could have been, I could have been, now I don't believe in driving 50, but I believe you should drive 40 or 41, not 31 there, okay? So here's the deal. I could have been very easily tempted to sinful anger, right? Because maybe I was afraid of being here late, fear of man, or something like that, right? 
which is silly, but that, our hearts are pretty silly, right? Maybe it was something like that. So if in the moment I would have thought something along the lines of Romans 8, 20 and 29, that Lord, you know, it'd be nice if this person would speed up or turn, but before you created the world, you ordained this slow driver to be in yes. front of me to reveal to me what's in my heart right now. And if I would have trusted that you're always in control and always good, and my greatest good is not for this person to get out of my way, my greatest good is to become more like Christ through this. Peace, joy, no sinful anger. Cool. You may laugh at that, about no, that. I do that all the time. She but loves it's true. It. She loves it. What doesn't she love? <laughs> Another one would be, okay, um, I'm worshiping, I matter, okay? If I'm thinking, no, nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to fear not mattering, right? Now, I want to be careful and add a nuance to this, okay? I don't run for, well, people aren't giving me what I want, I matter. So I run over here to God and I get I matter from Him. That's idolatry. That's psychologizing God. You don't want to do that. But the Bible does tell us God loves us perfectly, and I can trust in that, right? Nothing can separate me from his love. So why am I worrying about what other people think about me unless I'm sinning? Then I should worry about it, okay? Um, another one, Romans 15, 7. Um, God accepts us because of what Christ did, not because of anything in me, right? But because of what Christ has done. Um, and then Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Um, how can I not forgive this person in light of all that God has forgiven me or something like that? And then the, the go-to that is so easy for every struggle, um, not trying to put a Band-Aid on it, but it's so true for I don't care what your struggle is, sin, struggle, trial, whatever, is Jesus is more than enough, right? He is. He's more than enough. Okay, so it says on your outline there, rest your heart by trusting in who God is, the gospel and the promises we have in Christ. Now, something very important. Don't have 10 go-to truths for your main struggle that whenever you're tempted, you quote. How many things did Jesus quote when he was tempted in Matthew 4? Mm -hmm. One thing. And guess what? He didn't even say the Bible chapter and address because he didn't have any, right? He just said Moses said. So don't make it... You guys are really smart. You can memorize the addresses and stuff, but you just have to have that go-to truth ready to go when you're tempted, okay? Find out what it is for your, um, your main struggles. Okay, so we've talked about putting off the idolatry, the sinful thoughts, words, and actions, putting on our go-to truth, but we can't stop there and say that we're being fully obedient to God. So we have to then put on specific measurable obedience, which goes down here. Okay, Ephesians 4 says a thief stops being a thief when he quits stealing. No. He stops being a thief when he does what? Goes to works for a living. Yes, he quits stealing, and he goes to work to pay for his own bills and to give to other people. So that's full-orbed Christian obedience, right? So here, what are some, instead of the ungodly, sinfully angry thoughts, words, and actions, what would be some godly, specific obedience when it comes to our thoughts, words, and actions? Just give me one example for each of those. So instead of the ungodly, sinful thought, angry thought, what would be a, a godly Very good. So the thought. Now give me a, a godly word. Instead of the ungodly words I was saying, what's a godly word? Pray for that person that you're mad at or pray for it's yourself or someone else. Pray that um, 
that the Lord would help them in whatever it is yeah. that they're going through. And if you was calling them an idiot, then you say something kind and encouraging, right? And then what would be a godly action along with what you were talking about with prayer? Very, very specific ways to show love to people, right? Who are making you angry. Very specific ways. Pray for your enemies, love your enemies, for those who persecute you, but also do specific things to overcome evil with good, right? Okay. So all this makes sense with the idolatry? Okay. Just think about this with what you're struggling with. Think about what it is you're worshiping, what that leads to. Find a truth about God, okay, an attribute, promise. Sometimes those are the same thing, right? God is omnipresent. Well, he promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Those are kind of the same thing, right? Or something about the gospel specifically to help you. But do not try to fight sin with the law. You already know you should not be sinfully angry. You need to focus on the beholding the glory of God. Okay, questions before we go into some other stuff. B, do you want to ask your question now? Oh, yeah. Um, what was the thing that you put on the board in the morning? You write it on the board, and, or not in the morning, but you wrote it on the board, and then you say it to yourself. The three things you say before you get out of bed. It's like, um, oh. my greatest good... Oh, yeah. okay. I just, I mean, we're all different, okay? And I'm kind of a rote guy at times, but I pray every day. One of the things I pray every day that I just thank God that, that he's always in control and he's always good. And my greatest good's not what I want or what I don't want, but my greatest good's to become more like Christ, which I think is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Is that what you meant? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. Any other questions about... Yeah. I asked ahead of time if people would submit questions. One of the questions that was asked, which I think I think you've addressed, but if you could just quickly readdress this, is what verses do you have to specific, specifically about changing your desires to be God's desires? It's um, the root of all sin is idolatry, but changing those idols into worshiping and desiring God is a lot easier said than done. So what's a specific, like a couple passages that address the issue of trying to Wanting to change your desire, but not knowing how to change your desire. Okay, well, one thing I do want to say is that we could add things to this. So there's, oh, every time I sin, there's some form of idolatry in my heart. Okay, I'm either worshiping God or I'm worshiping the creation or something, right? But also at the root of all sin is unbelief, right? And pride and selfishness. So all those are down there too, but I always want to hit on idolatry. But actually... I would just say the verses we went through, 2 Corinthians 3.18, 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15, 2 Peter, all those verses by focusing on who God is and the gospel is what changes my desires, right? It's just like with, with Bible reading. If you struggle with reading your Bible every day, just preach the gospel to yourself. How can I not spend, like before I became a Christian, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I don't really care either. Because it was my pre-Jesus days, but until I was 28 years of age, Sam will think lowly of me after this, but <laughs> I never read one single book in my entire life, except what I had to read to do book reports. Not one. I read the sports page, but even there I just looked at scores and the statistics. I didn't even read the sports page. So I'm not, I'm not a natural... I'm not a natural reader, but here's the deal. Jesus saved me from the eternal hell I deserved 
he loves me that much, how could I not want to spend time with him and his word every day? I'm not spending time with a book. I'm spending time with the author of that book. So the gospel changes our desires. I mean, would you add anything to that? Yes. I have a quick question. Um, so like for the people that, or for Christians and the circumstances where they basically, I forget the terminology that the Bible uses, but it's like you, you sin against God so many times over and over and over again that your, like your heart just like you you don't feel grief over your sin anymore. Searing. Hmm. Um, I forget what the term how it searing, searing your conscience. Yes. Thank mm. you. Yeah. So. Um, well, first off, do you believe that a Christian can sear their conscience? <laughs> because that would answer, like, the second question wouldn't even matter if you, if you... Well, without using a specific terminology, let's just say that um, David, there was quite a bit of time from his horrible, horrible mm-hmm. adultery and murder until he repented, right, when Nathan came to him. So in that whole time period, he wasn't repentant. So a a genuine Christian can be unrepentant for a certain period of time, right? But eventually, if they truly belong to God, he's going to discipline them or he's going to take them out. They're going to go to heaven quicker, right? So um, so we'll have to think about that, about the Syrian conscious thing. (laughs) Okay. Because like... the, the repentance verse and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that's unnatural. Like, having that kind of repentance isn't... A normal person doesn't have that. Christians do. But a normal person, a depraved person, doesn't have that. So that's like... That's a that's a desire that God gives to people. But I think also if you sear your conscience, if you're a Christian that's searing your conscience, like, that desire is hard to get yeah. in the first place. Yeah, and we want all, well, I shouldn't say we all. I know at least most of you agree that, you know, e- even as a believer, Philippians 2, 12, 13, God has to work it in me for it to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it tells me to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it says that only happens as God works in me. So we believe God grants, gives that repentance. The Holy Spirit has to convict us, right? Yeah. I would just as a, I mean, this is not a comprehensive answer to your question, but the context of that, the quote, you know, the searing of consciences is uh, in First Timothy, where it's the the Spirit especially says that in a lot of times they're going to depart from the faith. Uh-huh. So yeah. I would understand that to be false teachers who are not within the Christian household at that point. Very good. Well, let me cover the other things I want to cover, and then we can do more questions, okay? Um, so... Put off and put on main methodology for biblical change and discipleship. But there's some other things besides hope and motivation and the put off and put on that we have to cover that are really important. Um, The heart's always most important. Okay, that's always most important. But one of the things we need to do, obviously, is to stay away from anything that tempts us to sin, right? An outward temptation. I can't leave my heart, right? Um, But would somebody read Matthew 5.29 for us? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Yeah. So the point is, Jesus is commanding us to deal as drastically with our sin and temptation as we need to, right? And obviously, he's not being literal. 
you pluck out your eye, you can still lust, okay? That's not the point. But just deal very drastically with anything that tempts us to sin. And I know I probably use the example of pornography a lot, but probably the two things I work with most with people is pornography and anxiety. And lots of times those are kind of connected, okay? But those are the main two things that I see besides marriage counseling. But um, you got to stay away from temptation. I mean, if you're struggling with pornography, um, if it's once every six months, which still isn't good, maybe you don't need to do this, but if you're regularly struggling with something, you can't have any unsupervised access to the internet. You're never going to get away from it. It's like carrying an eight ball in your pocket if you're a crack addict, okay? You just can't do that. So you got to stay away from it. So when it comes to sinful anger, there could be a lot of specific examples depending on your situation. But a few things would be, if you can't look at social media or watch the news or talk about politics without getting sinfully angry, then don't view those things and stay away from it, okay? Until you're at a point where you can do those things. So just think in your heart and think about the things that tempt you to sin. Let me give it a good, good example here. There's nothing wrong with listening to a pure love song, right? Even if it's written by a non-Christian, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're single and you really want to get married and you listen to a pure love song and you get depressed, don't listen to the song, right? <laughs> so stay away from anything that leads you into temptation, okay? Um, another thing with some people with getting angry, if you're one of those people who always has to be going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing all the time, get a life. <laughs> Stop and smell the roses every once in a while, okay? Take a break every hour. Go walk around the block or do some push-ups. I don't know, okay? So stay away from temptation is one thing we need to do practically. Another thing is, and this is all very important, and I'm not saying this just because you mentioned it down there in prayer time. I had this plan before I got here. But God commands us to get rest. Okay? You need to have good rest. You need to have good sleep. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. That's hard to do when you've had 9 or 10 hours of sleep. It's impossible to do if you've had four or five, right? If I'm going to struggle with being impatient or with lust or something like that, it's typically mostly going to be when I'm tired, okay? Um, very important. Also, it's important to exercise and eat healthy. He's skinny and he's in shape, but he talked about it down there. I'm going to say it here. This is not my body. It's God's body. We don't hear it enough in the church. We need to take care of our bodies through exercise and eating healthy. Not like the world, not radically, not so I can have a six-pack and show off or be buff and show off. I had, I had to say it. I was tempted. You're tempting me, man. Get out of here. But, but for real, I mean, it is important, especially as you get older. And then people have to take care. I've seen this so much in my, one of my parents' family where people just grossly overweight and then at the end of their lives, people have to pour so much time into taking care of them because they didn't take care of themselves. And these people were believers. Okay? I want to serve the best I can for God till the day I die. Now, I could die tomorrow, right? Jim Fix, he was the runner, had a heart attack. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I may get some horrible disease. I don't know. My greatest good is not what I want or what I don't want, right? Easier said than done. So take care of yourselves. First uh, Timothy 4.8. Anybody have that memorized? Let's read it. Some value, godliness is a value in every way as a whole promise for the present life 
Also for the life. So this is most value, but bodily training does have some value. Okay. Okay. Moving on. Accountability. Um, very, very important. Genuine, specific, regular accountability, which you all do here every Saturday night, right? But I don't know what goes on in a lot of our life groups with people at LifePoint. I was just at a life group the other night. Every single person. Pray for my health. Pray for my job. Pray for this ministry thing. All that stuff's good. I didn't hear one person say, man, I'm really struggling being patient with my wife or I'm really struggling with looking at things I shouldn't or whatever it is. We need to be open, honest, and transparent. And if you fear sharing that and confessing your sin, once again, the gospel's the answer. The gospel tells me I'm a sinner, right? I'm wretched, but I'm also seen as perfect in God's sight. So why should I care about what others think about me? Now, do you want to be careful yeah if somebody's a gossip don't share with them but in general have somebody you can have regular specific accountability i know i'm a nerd well not in general but some things <laughs> so when i have people that i work with i have questions designed on the things we've been working on so for tonight's question i would ask the person since we last met tell me what happened when you were tempted to be sinfully angry and then they'll tell me what happened then i'll ask them okay what was you wanting well, I was wanting to matter. Okay, what truth about God did you or should you have trusted in? Well, I should have trusted that God's perfect love casts out all fear. And then what should have been your specific obedience? Well, instead of thinking bad about that person and, and ignoring them, I should have prayed for them and I should have loved them and encouraged them. Something like that, okay? So have good accountability. Okay, last thing here, I think, before we get to a few other different things. Um, just the importance of confession and asking for forgiveness um if i mentioned this before sorry but i'm gonna do it again um as christians we should not when we sin we should not say i'm sorry we should not say i apologize i should say i spoke a harsh word towards you and would you please forgive me if it's an error of will if it's sin in my heart i need to confess and ask for forgiveness it's an error of skill I accidentally bump into you, it's okay to say I'm sorry, okay? But if you just say I'm sorry, you've left the ball up in the air, you haven't given the person an opportunity to say I forgive you because you didn't ask for forgiveness. And they might be thinking, you're sorry about what? You got caught? You're sorry that you just aren't perfect? What are you sorry about? So confess and ask for forgiveness. Okay, and we talked about that a little bit before, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I won't go into it any further, deeper then. Okay, um, how about we do this real quick? Just so that we can make sure we kind of get this. We'll use a simple example. Since it's been brought up a few times tonight, I'm going to use it for guys and girls. So um, if I'm eating too much ice cream, <laughs> what, what might be the problem? Comfort. Okay. So what should I attack my idle lust of comfort with? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. Something specific. This is an aspect of the gospel, but the suffering component of the gospel to me would be one way in which we just look at how antithetical the gospel is to a focus on comfort. Okay. What's antithetical? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesus is yes. sufficient. Muy bien. Jesucristo es 
Sufficiente, right? <laughs> so, yeah, Jesus more than enough. How about something so simple as, why am I trying to get comfort out of this ice cream? And it Jesus never, ever, ever, ever works when God is my comfort. Yes. Something simple, right? If it's peace, God is my peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Just make it simple. Whatever grabs your heart. We all like different verses. For me... I don't, by the, by the grace of God, I do not struggle with pornography. But I do sometimes struggle with looking at women. So what do I say to myself? Tony, you know that never, ever, ever satisfied before. And Jesus is the living water. That's what works for me. Okay, that's what sets me free. That's what I trust in. So find your truth. Okay, um, cautions. When you're discipling someone else, or what? Don't be so literal. (laughs) (laughs) It's God's truth that really helps me, and the truth sets me free. Is that better? Yes. Oh, I used to love that. We did jail and prison ministry for several years when I first became a believer when I had long, thick hair and wrote a Harley. But anyway, if you believe that or not, but it was always the, the favorite Bible verse in, in jail and prison ministry and preaching was, brother, the truth will set you free. <laughs> okay, so let's go on. The importance of prayer and counseling, okay, or discipleship. Who's the only one who can change the heart? So if that's true, what do we have to do? Pray. We've got to pray. Who is the counselor? It's not Tony. The Holy Spirit is the wonderful counselor, right? And Jesus is called the wonderful counselor in Isaiah 9, right? Okay, another very important thing. Remember that people that you disciple are not just sinners, but they're also sufferers, okay? We're not just always talking about sin. Sometimes people are suffering and they're not sinning. And even if they are suffering and sinning, we come alongside them, help them in their suffering. And then, yes, we do have to help them respond godly in their suffering. Okay? But treat people as both sinners and sufferers. Very important. Okay, importance of homework. Counseling or discipleship without homework is a complete joke. (laughs) Talk therapy, listen therapy, whatever you want to call it, that is a joke. People have to develop habits through the week or they will never change. We have to be disciplined, okay? Um, so people must do regular homework through the week. Um, back to 1 Timothy 4, 8, right? Discipline, training, that kind of stuff. Um, so they got to develop new habits. Okay, I already covered that. Um, here's some homework examples that I would always give to a person regardless of what their struggle is. And quite frankly, the first two of these, every believer should be doing Anyway, when Jesus started the prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, how did he start it? Yeah. Yeah. So what we call adoration, right? Often. So I want to make sure the people I'm working with are at least three times a day praising and thanking God for that truth that helps them. Back to what you said a few moments ago. If I struggle with eating too much for me. Too much peanut butter, okay? If I'm wanting comfort, God is my comfort. Three times a day, Tony's going to thank God that he's my comfort or thank him for the suffering in the gospel, whatever it is. If it's I matter, I'm thanking him that for nothing can separate me from God's love. Whatever the struggle it is, I'm going to three times a day thank God for that truth because then I'm more likely when that first tempting thought comes 
to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Second thing, I always have people read a chapter a day in the Bible. Um, I know I'm not too impressive. I read a chapter a day. I'm not one of those people who reads through the Bible in a year. It doesn't work for me. I would never remember that stuff. I read one chapter a day. I do this. I write down one thing it says about God. Actually, I do more, but I assign people. I write one thing it says about God, and then one thing you need to do, and then meditate on that and pray over it. Okay? And if people aren't used to reading the Bible that you're working with, have them start in the Gospel of John, because it talks so much about who Christ is, or Ephesians. Probably not going to have them start in Numbers or Revelation when somebody's struggling with something, okay? That's God's Word. It's awesome, but give them something really practical that speaks about who God is in some specific ways. Also, you have to, regardless of whether you use this tree or the situation log I use, you have to give people homework where through the week, every day, they're practicing the two put-offs and the two put-ons. And you want to hear that when you meet with them. Tell me how this week, when you were tempted to sinful anger because you wanted to matter, how did you go through the two put-offs and two put-ons? Okay. Um, the situation log I use, in case you're wondering, it's like seven questions. The first question, describe what was happening um, you know, when you were tempted. Okay. Second question, what were you thinking and feeling? Because our feelings always follow our thinking. Third question, what did you say and do in response? Fourth question, what were you wanting? What were you worshiping? Fifth question, um, what were the consequences? Okay, and what's the what's the always the worst consequence of sin as a believer? Death. For a believer. Cast away from God. What'd you say? Separation. Well, you're getting there. The worst consequence of any sin is for that period of time I lost my intimate fellowship with God. That's the worst consequence of sin, right? For a believer. Okay. And then the sixth question is, what truth should have you believed? And then what specific measurable obedience should you have done? And then question seven is, okay, did you confess your sin to God and ask for forgiveness? And if you sinned against another person, did you confess and ask forgiveness to them? So the, the situation log basically runs through the same thing as the idol tree. I'm just about done. I know this is going long, isn't it? Okay. Um, other homework I give to people, motive questions. So when I go through the motivation homework with people, I give them two questions. In the past, what were the primary motives that you were um, seeking change for? Because almost everybody's going to be honest and say, I was seeking change for relief. Okay, now, why are you seeking change? We want the trajectory to go from benefiting myself to the glory of God. Okay, so that's one homework assignment. Um, for the idle search questions, once again, just have people ask themselves, um, when you're sinfully angry, okay, um, what are you wanting? Simple, easy question to get them to figure out what their idols are. Um, we've already talked about accountability. We've talked about making a confession of sin. That covers all that. Okay, I, I said this at the beginning, but I'm going to say it one more time. So people change if they do the homework, if they have biblical motivation for change, the glory of God, if they have genuine repentance, they hate their sin because it's against the glory of God, and then they behold God's glory, they will change. Okay, I'm done. Questions? Do you think that every Christian should receive biblical counseling slash intensive discipleship? And if so, when do you think that that needs to happen? Like, Do you think that needs to happen in high school, in college? Um, Well, uh, let's just call it discipleship, okay? I know we call it biblical counseling and we say intensive discipleship, but it's all discipleship. So I would say 
right? When somebody becomes a brand new believer, what could be better for them than to every day be thanking and praising God for some attributes and for the gospel and some promises that are going to help their specific struggles? And what could be more helpful to a brand new believer than to teach them we're not playing behaviorism, religion, and moralism, but you need to be concerned about your heart. And if they're having a certain struggle they bring up to you, I would work through that with them. What better could be better for a brand new believer than to have accountability, um, to know that their motivation for everything is to, to glorify God. So I would say take these basic principles right from the very beginning with people. I mean, in family worship with my girls, we cover this stuff all the time in different ways. I mean, is that helpful? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you agree? I mean, do you have to go to Rod and Staff classes? Well, not everybody has to do that. It's helpful, right? Yeah. I have a follow-up question. Um, if if someone doesn't get the counseling like, right when they become a Christian, like, do you think they would still benefit from it later if they still are familiar with these concepts? Oh, yeah, because, I mean, I have people that I'll meet with, and then they come and meet with me again. And if people, that most people, unfortunately, we put stuff on the shelf, right? And you need good reminders, and, and you might have a different struggle. But let's, I, to be honest with you, I wish we didn't even use the word counseling. Yeah. I wish it was just called discipleship, but that's what people are used to. And I really believe with the persecution, where I'm not a prophet, but we're probably going to face if things keep going like it is. If we use the word counseling in the church, they're going to come after us. Mm -hmm. And they're going to come after us anyway, eventually. But if, you, if you're using discipleship, it sounds a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. Than counseling. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so you were talking about, you know it's an idol. If you sin to get it, you're sinning if you don't have it. Or you spend too much time doing it. I'm wondering specifically on spending too much time doing it. So say screen time. How much is too much? Well, I didn't say spending too much time. I said if you sin to get it, you okay. sin when you don't get it. You want it too much. You want it for the wrong reasons. You lose your joy and peace if you don't get it. And I'm sure there's some other questions too. I didn't necessarily say that. But if you're asking about if I spend too much time, is it affecting my priorities in life, right? Am I going to it because I am worshiping something? What am I trying to get out of it? And we all know when we're doing something too much and you start to feel a little empty or agitated or whatever, that's the warning signals God's given you that something is wrong or you have the guilt going or the emotions going. Um, so is it affecting my other priorities um, in life? Um, those are the kind of questions I think I would, would ask. I mean, I can't tell you exactly how much too much time for you. 43 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if we know someone that we think would benefit from biblical counseling, would, would I push? How, how do I approach the person with that? Um, I would just, like if I knew you could benefit from biblical counseling, I would just say, you know, Lexi, have, have you ever, um, did you know that the church offered this? And you know, do you think this will be helpful for you? And, and maybe share some things you've learned and how it's been helpful to you, but you can't make them, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a church discipline situation, though, though our church might not. I would say there's some times that you could require that, personally. That would be my opinion. Okay. <laughs> what are three top verses you think every Christian should have memorized? To be honest with you, I will not answer that question. <laughs> 
Versus on the list that you gave. I, I wouldn't, I don't think it's wise probably to say there's top three verses for every Christian. Other than Jesus is God, man died on the cross, was raised from the dead. First, First Corinthians fifteen one through four, right? Got to have the gospel in there, right? <laughs> but I think you know where I'm going with that because people are going to like different verses, and and even though I love Second Corinthians three eighteen, Second Corinthians five fourteen fifteen, there's other verses that say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It would depend on the person, yeah. I guess. I don't know. What do you think? Saying, what tool is best? What tool is best to fix a house? It's like, it's like, what's wrong with a house? Very good. That's what I tried to say. Only he illustrated it much better than I did. <laughs> I already kind of know the answer to this, but could you just elaborate on like, if you think you can idolize like reading your Bible or like needing fellowship, or, like that mm. kind of thing. Mm. You hit on a good one there. So God created us first and foremost to be dependent upon Him, mm-hmm. but He does want us to have fellowship. And I, th- I think it's okay to say that we need fellowship because it helps us grow, right? Mm-hmm. But some people are needy. Once again, what am I wanting when I want to be around people? It, mm. Is it for me? Am I going to encourage others? Um, it's a good thing, but once again, what's going in the heart? What am I mm-hmm. wanting? Um, Intent thing, yeah. Yeah, but so what were you gonna say? You said you think you know the answer. I I was gonna say honestly, yeah. Like I think you can idolize it if it gets to a certain point. Um, I don't know about the Bible one though. Like, I feel like I feel like you can't need God's word enough to the point where you're idolizing it. Okay. Well, what what if I? And I know this is kind of a ridiculous example, but mm-hmm. let's say that. Okay, like. Before I was married, I spent a lot more time reading and reading the Bible and everything. But then I get married, mm-hmm. and if I don't spend any time with my wife, then I could be idolizing the Bible, right? In yeah. a way. Or what about the yeah. What about the Pharisees? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about John five thirty nine? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say we can idolize everything, even God, by psychologizing God yeah. or using Him as vending a vending machine. vending machine, or yeah. It also depends on your motive. Like if you're if you're studying, if you're going to seminary to puff up yourself and like get pride just because of how much you know, which tons of people do, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Even though you're learning a good thing, you're doing it for the wrong reason, and mm-hmm. it's sad. you provide a, we, I, I just had a conversation with you, with you about it, so it's relevant. Um, what is your rationale for saying that the the glory of God should be our primary desire, not our sole and only desire? 
Like, it, why, why is there a place for, like, does it make it sinful to have a sub-desire of any sort if it's not for the glory of God alone? Yeah. Well, I mean, the point we brought up earlier about rewards, there's plenty of verses that talk about rewards, so I think that's an easy one to answer it with for, for that. I mean, would you agree Oh, I agree with you. So he mostly said that because of his conversation with me. Um, I agree that it is perfectly fine to take pleasure in the things God gives us. Mm-hmm. But should we Including desire, ice cream. Should we? Yeah, yeah, Amen. absolutely. Especially, especially pralines and cream from Baskin Robbins. Uh, Don't! It's themselves. I 100% agree with that. And I I also agree that we should take pleasure in these things because God gave them to us as good gifts. Where does desiring them come in? Because if if I want um, if, if I want fellowship with people because I want intimacy. And I want intimacy with people. Right? If the sub-desire to that sub-sub-desire you could say isn't I want to bring glory to God. That would be a sin, right? Let me go about it a different way. I don't know if it's going to help or not, but there's nothing wrong. I should have said this, sorry. <laughs> On the, the idol list there, there's nothing wrong with wanting or desiring but those things. You, the you problem yes. is when I think I need it. You don't need any of those things, and that's what the world tells us in every form. Yeah. And if I think I need it, I will sin to get it, and I will sin when I don't get it. Okay, and I will um, manipulate to get it. And for those of you who are married, you know this is true. And those of you who aren't should know it's true also. But, you know, my wife doesn't need love. I don't need respect. But the Bible commands me to love her. The Bible commands her to respect me. And it's okay for us to want and desire those things. But the moment I think I need it, I will not be loving to my wife. Even if it's a little not loving, I won't be. So you're talking about desiring. There's nothing wrong yes. with wanting or desiring, but is it cross the line into to worship? And the way I know that is I'm sinning in my right. thoughts, words, and actions. But like if you're going to him for... <laughs> Sorry, I struggle with the same thing she's talking about. Like if I... <laughs> no, no, if, if I'm thinking, all right, I just... I need happiness. I need joy. And I know God promises it, so I'm going to go to God for that. Mm. But I'm going. Yes. I'm not going to glorify him. I'm going to get something out of him. That's where it turns into sin. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. Hold on. I'm so you change your heart to make it like for God, and then instead of these things, because they're good promises. Like God's promising them for a reason. He wants us to be motivated yeah. by those promises, just not so motivated that it's. Your primary purpose for going to him, but yeah. your secondary purpose for going to him. Does that make sense? Well, the best way I like yeah. to the best way I like to say it, I'll say a couple things is, is that you know, joy is a byproduct of trusting and obeying God. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Right. And then the second thing, what you're saying there is, oh dear, here comes my age. What was the second thing I was going to say? <laughs> Can you repeat some of what you said? I'm sorry. Um, he wants us to be motivated enough to go to him for those things. Oh, he, what's going to what's going to motivate you to that? Not so 
far as to make that our primary yeah. focus to go to him. Because the primary focus should be to glorify him. Yeah. Two. And then a fruit of glorifying him is that secondary. But what I wanted to touch on is you asked, well, how do you change the desire or how do you do the motivation for that, right? That's what you asked. Yeah. So I hate to sound like a repeated record, but I, I know I keep saying this, but the only thing that's going to change my heart to desire God is to focus on how great He is. Behold His glory. And to focus on the gospel. I know that sounds so simplistic, but the gospel is the answer to everything, period. If, if Jesus isn't the answer to anything... It's Jesus plus. I 100% agree with that. <laughs> and here's, here's why. <laughs> I could have a very long debate about this. <laughs> we might want to wait. Okay. Do, do you have one more? I was just going to get, this could be an example, a good example of what you're describing. Um, God has put in the desire of most people to be married. And that is not inherently wrong unless that is your your soul's des- only desire if you're if you need marriage if you view marriage as an idol then yes it's wrong but it's not wrong it's, it's a good thing to, to desire to be married and to glorify god through your marriage and if the glorifying god is absent from that then that's where it's starting to get okay why why do you want marriage yeah, don't but it, don't. to what you said it's all completely dependent on what what it is that you're desiring don't don't ever get married because you need somebody or you think they're going to meet your need needs i've put in quotes and don't get ever get married if you're wanting to get don't ever think about it unless you're willing to give 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 also one other comment there is also danger in overanalyzing yourself true that's yeah and overanalyzing motive and overanalyzing because you're just going to, it's circular. Yeah. Right. So let me, let me borrow quickly because he wants to wrap up. Let me say one quote and I'll shut up. <laughs> I hope. Um, that is, I read this a few weeks ago. I was read it for second or third time probably. But glare at your heart, but gaze at Christ. So don't be in, overly introspective. Glare at your heart. Check it out. But mainly focus on Christ. Yeah, very good. Um, oh, I forgot one thing. <laughs> I highly recommend this book. Martha Peace wrote the book, The Excellent Wife, but this is absolutely incredible. It's small and short, but it's really, really, really good. I bought it for everybody on the counseling team and for all the elders. Hey, Lexi, could you take a picture real quick? Oh, yeah. Right there and just absolutely. Put, put it on I have to my camera. Um, Hey, how about this? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, we're going to wrap up just to give people who need to slip out an opportunity to slip out. Um, But if you are able to hawk down Tony and you want to continue asking questions, that is your prerogative. He might slip out. He's never going to tell me. Everyone. Next week, Sam already said, our, is our flex week, and that's to give you guys time to be able to meet up with one another, preferably one-on-one, one-on-two, whatever it is, and this is a great resource to be able to do the biblical something with each other. So yeah. don't throw this away, and don't forget about it. Use it next week. Yeah. Um, wherever you so choose. Yeah. Yeah, it's
so it's not like oh. becomes it's not organized. No, you have to do it. It's you're, not, you're on your own. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll detail it all out in bed. Um, Josh, uh, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for being our Father, for caring for us, for loving us, for um, sacrificing in ways that we can never, and um, and for taking even our sin and even the moments where we're belligerent to um, bring glory to yourself and to, and to also um, work it out for our good to conform to your image. And so God, I pray that you would be with all of us, that we would um, not um, seek to just fix um, <coughs> external problems and that we wouldn't um, just try to fix those things on our own abilities or um, through venting or through any of those things, but that we would dwell on who Christ is, we would dwell on who you are, and um, and how best we can apply the gospel to our lives specifically, um, based on what idols that we actually have. So God, I pray you would help us to not be stagnant, to not um, ignore temptation, but to recognize temptation and flee from it. I pray that we would recognize our heart idols and make just efforts this week for just one of those. I pray that we would um, actually meet up together to keep each other accountable um, and that we would glorify you in all of it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>